You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. All right, good morning. Oh, thank you. Uh, My name is Houston. I'm the church planting resident on staff here at the Vine. Um, So what that means is just sometime in the next some number of years, uh, we will look at planting a church from the Vine like we did Redeemer City and Eastside. And uh, I keep saying, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. And that's a little more applicable today, isn't it? A rain joke. Thank you. Uh, Okay, so um, I'm going to start off here with a picture, and it's going to be a personal story about me, and uh, this may be hard for some of you to picture, uh, but I don't always respond well to my wonderful, loving wife, Kinsey. Um, I know it's hard to imagine me doing something bad, but it does happen occasionally, uh, and so the other day, Kinsey and I were talking, and I said that I have a tendency to procrastinate, and that I would like to no longer procrastinate. And Kinsey, being full of grace and love and wisdom, said to me, we have this conversation pretty regularly. Um, you weren't supposed to laugh at that point, guys. Uh, we, we have this conversation pretty regularly, she said, uh, and just implying that maybe the problem was not some external factor, but me. Um, And so obviously at this point, I start to get defensive because I'm being attacked. My character is under attack here. I'm offended. And and you get it, right? You understand why I'm being defensive because it's very, very reasonable that it's not my fault. It's not my problem. It's something external. And you know, this is funny. It's like a funny situation, but like we all do that, right? We all kind of do that where we ask advice to our spouse or a friend and we uh, get advice that we don't want and we get angry. Or, or have you ever had a friend or a spouse, family members, anybody, they come up to you and they say, hey, I think this thing that you did was wrong or um, you've hurt me in this way. And if you're like me, this is immediately turned to the defensive. Like, I'm being attacked here. I have to stand up for myself. And so if you're like me, this is kind of an all-too-common thing, right? So what we're going to see in our passage today is that Jesus is kind of delivering a criticism and a warning like this to his hearers. And so it's important that we remember that this passage, this parable, is... Uh, not spoken to us, but it is applicable for us, right? So so Jesus is talking to a specific people group at a specific point in time who had a specific relationship to God. And so he's going to warn them, he's going to criticize them in a way, and he's going to warn them, but then there's also a promise in there. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into this parable, and we're going to see how When we read this, it has something for us today, too. And ultimately, we're going to see, 
Like the beauty of the Gospels is that it all still points to Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you for this opportunity for us to come and sit under your word. We just pray that you would be glorified in this message, that you would get me out of the way and speak your truth to us today. Pray that you'll help us as we sit under your word to have ears to hear and uh, eyes to see what you've got for us. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so grab your Bibles with me. Let's go to Matthew 21. It's going to be on the screen too. Uh, Chapter 21, verse 33. We're going to start reading again. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it, built a tower, and leased it to tenants and went into another country. All right, we're going to stop there. We're making great progress. So first thing we want to do is we want to see the stage that Jesus is setting. And so this parable is about a vineyard and a master that planted the vineyard. And we've heard this before a few times, right? Two weeks ago, James preached on the parable of the two sons, right? It's all about a father who owns a vineyard, sends his sons out. Uh, And then a handful of weeks ago, we heard Zach preach about the master of the vineyard. He goes out and finds workers, remember? And uh, in a few weeks... We're going to go to another parable about a vineyard, a master. And so, at this point, we have two options. Jesus likes talking about vineyards for some reason. And so we have two ways that we can interpret this. The first is either that maybe Jesus always dreamed of growing up to be a vineyard farmer, and this is kind of latent desire to be a vineyard owner coming out in all of his parables, And any chance he's getting is like a guy with a carpentry hobby, for example, um, always talking about his carpentry hobby. Or, thank you, or there is a specific picture that Jesus is painting and a specific picture that Jesus is drawing on when he talks about the vineyards. And so I'm going to bet on the latter, but you can like the former if you'd like. So, this picture of a vineyard is a theme that is developed in the Old Testament, uh, and it's kind of a common image in the Old Testament. It always refers to Israel, refers to God's people in the Old Testament, Israel. So, I won't go too deep here, but it's just a really common theme to say uh, a master planted a vineyard. And there's some language here that he dug a uh, planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press. Like, this is, this is really just sparking imagery that the Israelites would have remembered from the Old Testament. So, uh, you know, just to take stock of where we're at, Jesus is telling a parable about a master, and so that's going to represent God here. It's going to represent the Lord, who leased out his prized vineyard, he cared for it very much, and that represents Israel, and he leased it to a team of tenants, and that is the leadership of Israel. Uh, like local leaders, religious leaders, kings, that kind of thing. So, uh, now, we now, now we know the casting crew, as it were, to the play. So let's jump back in. Let's read verses 34 through 36. So when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another... And stoned another. And again he sent more servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. 
Okay, so let's keep unpacking this. So in this part of the scene, we see the master. Remember, that's the Lord. And he sends his servants to the tenants to collect fruit. So this is um, the expectation here is that this master owns the vineyard, and he hired these people, leased it out to them. And he expects that the fruit is his and that it's owed to him, right? And I think this is fairly reasonable. It seems reasonable to me, but apparently the tenants don't think so. So here we have essentially what is our first picture into Jesus' criticism. So if we zoom out, we know that this is about the Lord and Israel's leadership. And so Jesus' criticism is that the Lord sent his servants to Israel specifically to Israel's leadership, right, in the Old Testament, and the servants were killed. And so we have many stories in the Old Testament about the Lord sending his prophets to Israel to call them out on covenant unfaithfulness, and people did not listen. And in fact, not only did they not listen, we see here that they sometimes killed or beat or stoned the prophets, And so the picture that Jesus is painting here is a group of people who essentially shot the messenger, right? The Lord sent his servants to Israel to call them back to covenant faithfulness, and they turned them away because they hated the message that they brought. So if you're like me, this is easy to stand here and sort of judge them, right? Like, oh man, these guys, the Lord sends them prophets, to turn them away from their sin, their unfaithfulness. And they shot the messenger. And I never do that personally, right? And then I realize, of course, that I do. And not only that, but it happens today just the same as it did then. On a large scale, like we see this in our culture, don't we? And sure, we're not Israel, right? We don't have that covenant relationship with God as a country. But we still hear like prophetic voices calling out our culture for different things. We hear those people calling out racism and violence and sexual ethic and accountability and leadership. And the list goes on, right? We hear the prophetic voices calling out cultural sin. And inevitably... No matter what the issue is, there are people who are going to shoot the messenger, right? There are those who can't face the problem of racism in the country who would rather shoot the messenger. And there are those who can't face the problem of a warped sexual ethic in the country and would rather shoot the messenger. The list goes on, right? And just like ancient Israel, we're turning on the prophetic voices in our culture, who call out this evil and sin. And then we realize that it's not just a cultural problem. It's not just a problem that ancient Israel had. It's a personal problem, right? How many of you are like me, and when your wonderful wife graciously calls you out on something, you get defensive, And if you've been in any kind of relationship for long, if you've been around other people for any any amount of time, you'll recognize this series of events, right? Someone comes to you, or you come to them for advice, they give you the advice that you don't want, a criticism, whatever it is, and we get defensive. 
So what we see in Israel's history is this playing out on a huge scale, on a national scale. And Jesus is calling it out. And like I said, we know that this isn't just a problem that ancient Israel had. It's, it's a problem that we have today. And it's a problem that every culture will have. Every generation faces it because it's a human problem. But the most important thing we can see in this passage is not just how we act, how humans act, but we see how the Lord responds in the situation. And see, this is so important in parables like this. So we not only get to see kind of a glimpse, a painting of ourselves that we get to step into, but most importantly, we see how the Lord responds in these scenarios. And so let's keep reading. Let's see how he responds. Verses 37, 39. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Well, that escalated, didn't it? So I think this story, this part of the story feels like a little more on the nose to me. Finally, he sent his son, it says. And this feels a little bit clearer than the previous sections, right? The son in this part of the story refers to Jesus. The idea is that the Lord sent many prophets to Israel throughout his history, its history, and uh, sent them in an effort to bring them back to covenant faithfulness, right? And the idea is that time and time again, it didn't work. They didn't respond. And so he ups the ante, and he sends his son, Jesus. And so here we get two pictures shown to us in these lines. First, we see that part of Jesus' work was to continue this prophetic uh, calling, right? So we see that to some extent, uh, Jesus felt that he was a continuation of this prophetic lineage calling out the covenant unfaithfulness of Israel. So we're going to see this in in many places throughout the Gospels. And in fact, later on in this passage, they're going to say that the people thought he was a prophet. And so clearly, a a portion of what Jesus' work is, is to come to Israel and, and kind of call out that covenant unfaithfulness. But the second thing we see is that Jesus knew how this whole thing was going to end. Before they even started to plot against him, he knew how they were going to respond to him. They knew that he was going to be killed for the message that he was bringing. And ultimately, what we see is that he was killed for who he was, right? He came, and he knew that he was going to die, but he came still. And that is the powerful thing we see. He knows what's coming. He knows the death that's waiting for him. And still, he decided to come. So we receive that kind of relentless faithfulness of God, even knowing how the people would respond, even knowing that they would not respond well, he still came. He still tried to win them back. And instead of seeing the love of God and the faithfulness of God in this, they saw a threat. And this brings us to a kind of peek behind the curtain moment here. The leaders hated Jesus because he was the real authority, right? We spent how many weeks talking about the triumphal entry, Jesus in the temple, Um, last week we talked about Easter 
And what we see again and again is just this picture of the real authority and kingship of Jesus. And so think about it. In this parable, who has the real claim to the vineyard? It's the heir, right? It's the son, the master. And the people working it, the tenants, they know that. And in fact, they plot to kill him because they want it for themselves. And so clearly they see that it's his, and part of their power grab, so to speak, is to kill him. So they knew it wasn't rightfully theirs, but they conspired to take it for themselves. And here is the warning that I talked about. Jesus' parable is doing double duty here. We see he's criticized the leaders. He's kind of called them out in that prophetic role. And now we see him warning them. So now he's talking about things that haven't happened yet, right? And he's warning them. And see, while we know that Jesus was the son that the Lord sent, the leaders were not convinced. And so while the image of the people killing the Lord's servants was a sharp criticism, the image of the servants killing his son is a warning. Jesus is saying, hey, this is what you're doing. You need to stop now. He's not just another prophet come to warn Israel like the ones before him. He's different. And he's raising the stakes. And it's clear, I think, to the people listening to the story that Jesus is escalating. Just like it seems clear to us. And what we see is that Jesus, in approaching a climax to the story, he turns it over to the audience to say, well, what do you think he should do? Or what will he do? So we'll, we'll get to that in just a second, but, but again, let's, let's stop and take stock, and let's remember that we saw Jesus brought this prophetic criticism to Israel for the way that they responded to the Lord's servants. And second, we see that Jesus is raising the stakes with a warning, saying the one who's in front of him now is not just another servant, but the son himself. And this is inherently a warning, because what they do to him And how they receive him is very important. So, let's go back to the story and let's see how this plays out. Let's read verses 40 through 44. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? And they said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And so this is the part of the story where I expect like a climax, right? It's a part of the story where I expect the the master to come home, clear shot, kick him out. It's It's like an action movie finale, right? I expect him to go die hard on these guys. And I'm thinking, yeah, give it to him. Yeah, like what these guys said. They're gonna, you can just hear the passion. He's gonna kick them out. He's gonna make them pay for what they did. But it's interesting that that's not quite what Jesus says back, is it? Instead, when the people yell for the master 
to come and go all John Wick on them, he turns it back to the scriptures. And here is where we see the promise of this passage. When we come to this part of the parable, there's almost an empty space where the climax is supposed to be. In its place is a section of a psalm. And, and really, this is so on brand for Jesus, right? It's so on brand to kind of build up this expectation, to build up this trajectory, even ask the audience the kind of choose-your-own-adventure style ending, and then turn it on them. And he talks about a psalm. And so the psalm that he references is Psalm 118. And we won't do too much of a deep dive on this, but uh, the psalm is just really all about the goodness and graciousness and faithfulness of the Lord and how he saves his people. So it begins like this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And so some of you, you grew up in the church, and 90s, early 2000s worship songs are dinging in your head. You know the song, give thanks, to, I'm not going to sing it, it's going to be bad. But you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, th- that worship song. So it's, it's, like, it's like if we started uh, an action movie, and where the climax should be, where the bad guy, or the good guy kicks in the door and comes in and cleans up shop, there's just this kind of early 2000s, give thanks to the Lord. And, and it's like, kind of just like jarring, right? It's a little disjointed here. And so the big theme from the psalm that God wants to, uh, or that, that Jesus wants us to get is God's faithfulness to Israel, his faithfulness to his people. And so here when we expect this kind of ultimate reckoning moment, the time of punishment and judgment, we see a reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. How easy would it be for the Lord to say, okay, they don't want anything to do with me, I don't want anything to do with them. Or, I'm going to let them do their own thing. I'm going to turn them over to their own devices. Or, for him to simply just punish them for the awful things that they did. And the awful things they will do to Jesus. But instead, he reminds his people that he is a faithful and saving God. And that ultimately, this is a part of the plan. Now, that's not to say that there's not a moment of reckoning coming. Jesus says that the vineyard will be taken away, and there's a difficult section about a stone, and it's crushing. But we have to see that, first and foremost, the response of God in this section is his faithfulness and his love, his faithfulness to his people. And this is really the type of picture that the Bible likes to paint, right? Right? For Jesus, in, in this parable, the faithfulness of God and the, the crushing stone are the same thing. So what Jesus is getting at here is that this stone that the builders reject is him, right? And it's not a surprise that they reject him. It's not only not a surprise, it's a part of the plan that they reject him. Jesus is rejected, and we remember that from last week. We celebrated his death and resurrection last week. And we remember vividly the ways that he was rejected. And we remember that that rejection, his death on the cross, was not the last word. It was all a part of the plan. And we remember how on the third day, he rose again, and now we're called to follow him. 
And here we come to a kind of final warning. It's like a promise warning combo. <clears throat> Jesus tells us that depending on the way that we respond to this cornerstone, how we respond to him is now the judgment point. Right? The passage says that anyone who falls on the stone or is crushed by the stone will be broken to pieces. And so that's, that's hard language, but what we should understand is that this idea is really just that whoever doesn't accept Jesus, whoever has Jesus as the stumbling point, will face some kind of judgment. And so the image that Jesus wants us to get is that anyone who rejects the stone is ultimately going to be done in by it. And similarly, similarly whoever rejects Jesus will be judged accordingly. And this is not comfortable, right? This is not fun things that we talk about on Sunday mornings. But it's important for us to reckon with it. It's important for us to realize that this, this picture that P- Jesus painted is one of total rejection, of selfishness, of self-interest. These tenants in the parable mistreated and killed the owner's servants, and ultimately his own son. And this is not just a picture of Israel's leaders thousands of years ago, right? It's a picture of us today. So it's easy for us to look back and say, how could they have gone so far? Or how could they have turned so far away from God? The truth is that we've all done that, right? We've all at some point in our lives mistreated or hurt somebody else because it got us ahead or lied or cheated for personal gain. Whatever it is, the picture is clear. The problem is not with the master in the vineyard, the problem is with the tenants running things, right? The problem is us. And so, friends, while this is a picture of a specific people group at a specific time, we can see ourselves in it today, right? We've all been entrusted with something or someone, and we've misused or hurt them. And here we are, reading this parable, and we, in a sense, have an opportunity to respond just the same that the Pharisees and the chief priests did in Jesus' time. And so as we move towards this time of response and application, let's go back and let's see how they responded at the time. Let's read verses 45 through 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable... They perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees, they know that Jesus is calling him out. It's fairly obvious to them. And I love the language. They perceived that he was talking about them, obviously. But even though they didn't like it, they were afraid to move because of the people. And, and here, Matthew has just summarized this people group so clearly. And he's just captured their motivations. They hated Jesus, and they want to arrest him, playing perfectly into his parable. Right? Because they didn't. But they didn't because they were afraid of how the people were going to respond. They were afraid of losing their power or their position. They were afraid of having an unpopular opinion. They were afraid of the consequences of arresting Jesus. And they should have been. Those were good things to be afraid of, but for all the wrong reasons. And so, 
like those leaders, we have an opportunity today to respond to Jesus, to respond to this parable. We've been told today that all throughout history, the Lord sent his servants to bring his people back to faithfulness. And not just Israel, but the whole world, right? And then ultimately, he sent his son. And here, at the end of this parable, he's calling all of us to follow him. And a story like this is a great reminder that we are all called to this, no matter who we are, or no matter where you are. So, if you have never responded to this call before, consider this Jesus we've talked about. If you don't consider yourself a believer, consider this Jesus who, knowing what was waiting for him, still came and still gave his life. And that he died on the cross bearing our guilt, died in our place, and that he rose from the dead on the third day. And this is what we celebrated last week, Good Friday and Easter. And that his resurrection gives us hope for new life. And like the tenants in this story, I want to call you to hear his call to follow him. And you should answer that call. And so for those of us who have been following Jesus for a while now, there are still so many important things here that we can't miss. First, let's pay attention to how we respond to those servants that the Lord sends to us to call us out and correct us, whether that's a spouse, a friend, his word, the sermons you hear on Sunday, whatever it is, it's clear from Jesus' parable that the way that we respond to these corrections is very important. And second, let's remember that it's normal to need these corrections. It can be really easy for us to get to a certain point where we think, I no longer need correction. Or on the flip side, to think, man, I still need correction. I must be really terrible at this. And like we talked about at the confession time, this is a really normal part of the Christian life. It's like what Paul said, the things that we want to do, we don't do. The things we don't want to do, we do. And so don't be discouraged. This is still a part of it. This is very normal. We need people to come into our lives and to correct us. And finally, the most important thing is let's remember that the focal point of the story is not the vineyard. It's not the tenants. The focal point of the story is Jesus. He is the stone that the builders rejected. And he is the one who became the cornerstone, the head. The story is not about us, but about him. And like always, we need to remember that we're not relying on our ability to respond well to this. We're relying on him. And the great thing is that he is trustworthy. Like the psalmist said, we give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this day and your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come and learn. And as we read this parable that Jesus spoke, a parable about someone other than us, we just can't help but see ourselves in it. And we just pray that you'll help us to respond well, Lord, not only to the parable or to correction, but to you, to your faithfulness, God, and your eternal loving kindness towards us. We just pray that you'll Help us as we go throughout this week to embody that, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name.
Amen. So now we come to a time of communion. Um, so a couple housekeeping. If anyone doesn't have a cup, I believe we have someone who can run around and bring it. So if anyone doesn't, yes, uh, raise your hand. We can get you a cup. Um, and so for those of you at home, uh, we have a prayer that I think is going to go on the screen. Um, just anticipating that time of coming together and worshiping again. And uh, like I said before, this, this is kind of a time for believers. And so if you are one who's responded to that call of Jesus, this is for you. And if you haven't responded to that call, we just ask that you sit this one out uh, and really consider Jesus during this time. So I'm going to read for us from Matthew 26. Verses 26 through 29. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The body of Christ broken for you. And the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's uh, stand together and let's continue worshiping this morning.